Are you underutilizing one of the most powerful restaurant marketing tools on the planet? What do 92 million monthly Yelp searchers see when they land on your page? Is your content accurate and attention grabbing? Are you using every conversion tool possible to set yourself apart? Yelp is here to help. Go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to sign up for a one-on-one with a specialist that will review your Yelp page and share tips to help you stand out. Again, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to supercharge your Yelp page today. Now here we go. I think sometimes we get into this perceived notion of what our business was supposed to be 10 years ago. And that may not be what it is right now. And that's okay, right? Because we have a brand and our brand is evolving and changing. And I think that mindset really drives you to making good decisions because it's really all about making good decisions every day that are in line with what you ultimately want to happen in your business. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry. Featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. Hey, it's Josh. I'm starting a new case study group this month, and I'm looking for a few specific people. So, if you're a restaurant owner or operator that's currently doing $50,000 per month in sales, have the desire and the bandwidth to increase your sales by 10 to 20% and have two to three hours per week to work on these strategies, I would love to help you scale up by Christmas. Go to restaurantcasestudy.com and sign up to learn more. Again, that's restaurantcasestudy.com. There are a thousand roads that can lead to success in our industry, but only one road that leads to profitability. Today, we're talking numbers with Ann Gannon, founder of the Largo Group. In our chat today, we're going to explore what the formula for success looks like by examining some of her most successful clients and unpacking the tactics, tools, and strategies they've used to achieve massive profitability. So it is a accounting service. Our design is to be different, that our goal is to work with clients weekly and monthly so that they also understand their numbers, they're in control of their numbers, and they can make good decisions in real time versus waiting till the end of the year when your tax return is done. So that is our business model. And I think one thing that's cool is during the pandemic, it really proved itself that we were able to give clients really good information right away on what was happening, what needed to happen. And because of that, over 95% of our clients survived. That's amazing. I can tell you in my own life, I've struggled with the same thing professionally, where by the time the P&L is released, I mean, it's old news. It's coming out two weeks into the next month. And you constantly feel like you're playing catch up and you're adjusting on what was a problem a month prior, two months prior, as opposed to being able to work on these things in real time. High level, What are you tracking week to week? So the big thing is trends. What we try to do is have four week trends because I think in the restaurant world, weekly is much more digestible than monthly anyway. So weekly sales, weekly cogs, weekly labor trends, especially if you can get labor by category, front of the house, back of the house, anything that we can see that is changing week over week over four weeks, I think gives you, the business owner, much more useful information to make a pivot or a change in the following week. And are you prescriptive? 
Yes. So we try to give some sort of tangible feedback, especially if we see, hey, your back of the house doubled from the prior payroll or something like that. But I think it's also on the business owner to know, oh, well, it doubled because I'm training two new line cooks, right? Versus, oh, I have no idea why that number went up. So I think it works hand in hand and having good communication between the two because there's inherently things you know about your business that I don't know because I'm not there every day. I'm curious to know when you walk into a new client's location and you begin to analyze the data, what are you looking at specifically? What does that checklist look like when it comes to onboarding to really gauge the health of that restaurant? Yeah, so I definitely think you're obviously looking at the volume of sales because that gives you kind of where the business is going. Is it growing? A big benchmark for me is your bottom line as a percent of sales. Right. So if you're below 10%, that tells me there's probably some tightness there, some cash flow headaches, regardless of your volume. If it's below 10%, payroll is going to be stressful. Right. And then the other thing I think is how leveraged you are. How much debt did you have to take on to get the business operational? Because so many times as business owners, we forget how much debt service costs us every month. So it's great to have the new brewery, but if we had to take out a $2 million loan and we're now paying tens of thousands of dollars a month, that can really get tight as well. So those are probably the three key things that I'm looking at when I begin a conversation. And with so many things adjusting, with the supply chain shortages, the cost of goods has gone up dramatically. And then with the labor shortage and the crisis that we find ourselves in, labor wages are going up dramatically. And even if they aren't, because we're short staffed, we're paying overtime and double time. What are you recommending to your clients that they do to overcome that? So the first thing is not be afraid to really look. I think we have two different clients. You have one that's like, you know what? If I have to pay my dishwasher $25 an hour, I'm going to do it because I need a dishwasher. And then I think you have the other ones that are feeling like they're incredibly short staffed. But the question behind that curtain is, are you short staffed because you're not paying what everybody else in your area is paying? Or is it truly there's no labor? Because we do have some clients, I think, that are still stuck in that, well, the dishwasher makes $10 an hour and then, oh, well, I can't find the dishwasher. So economics was my major in college and I think it's supply and demand. So we really have to know how do we get the staff that we need, but not be afraid to then go back to the drawing board and say, okay, if that adds $1,000 to my labor every week, then they're going to have to do something on pricing or something in another area because I still need this to work out in the bottom line for the sake of the company. So that's sort of the two things we're seeing in labor right now, that some that are just like, all right, if I have a fourth price increase, it is what it is because I need my labor. And the other ones who are kind of unsure because we're so used to our labor costing us X amount a week. And now it's a completely different ballgame. Let's talk about bottom line revenue. I know that one of your core competencies is improving efficiencies to improve their bottom lines. Is there a checklist you run through for that? Where do most of the operational inefficiencies lie? Some of it is not having a plan from the beginning. I think how many people start a restaurant and didn't really think about what it would cost in those operating expenses. We have a good idea. We love the food we make. But do we know what our menu is even priced to generate? So I think some of it, again, on those trends, I mean, if we are running 38% food costs for four weeks and for forever, then maybe that's what our menu is meant to generate. And we just need to look at pricing or the way the menu is built, menu engineering, to make sure that 
we're either okay with 38% or we really work on it to get it down below that. So I think that's definitely something that people need to look at. And then I think other parts of it is really holding yourself accountable to a budget on your operating expenses because so many times we're ordering, but do we know why we're ordering or what we're ordering and what really makes up our operating expenses? I would argue that a bad food cost is directly or indirectly the result of either having the wrong pricing or inefficiencies within the kitchen operations. I would assume that the biggest hurdle for most people, at least it was for me in my career, is labor. Labor is ultimately the thing that is eating up most of the profitability within restaurants. And if that's the case, what strategies have you employed with your clients to offset that expense? I think it's being realistic on the labor. I think so many times as business owners, we have an idea of what we want to make out of this business every month. Say it's, I want to make $5,000 every month. Well, is that realistic if you have a GM and two assistant managers and full front of house, back of house, or is it the case where we may have to act as GM as the owner in order to make what we want to make? So I really look at it as more of a supply and demand issue. If you're truly turnkey and you just want to sit back and run three other businesses and you really don't want to be here day to day, that's completely fine, but that comes at a cost. And I think so many times the inherent fight that is exists in labor is we can't have it both ways. We can't have this management team and still have the business making X amount at the end of the month. So I think it starts with the owner being honest. And then if it truly feels like the owner is working seven days a week, you're the line cook and your you know wife's the server and we're still not making it, then it's a pricing issue, right? That we're just not built for the cost of our labor. I think you sit in a really interesting seat in the way that you have a window into some of the most successful restaurants in the country from a financial perspective. And I'm curious to know, for the people listening, what could they learn from the best practices of those restaurant owners and operators that you work with? I would say one of the common beliefs I see in the successful restaurant owners is not being afraid to be successful. They love what they do. They love their brand, but they also know that they want their business to make money. And I think with that being the driving force and not in a bad way, right? They're good members of the community and they give back and all of that too, but they know for all of that to happen, they need to make money. And I think with that as their driving force, they're able to pivot and come up with new ways of making money and not being afraid of change. I think sometimes we get into this perceived notion of what our business was supposed to be 10 years ago, and that may not be what it is right now. And that's okay, right? Because we have a brand and our brand is evolving and changing and as all brands do. And I think that mindset really drives you to making good decisions because it's really all about making good decisions every day that are in line with what you ultimately want to happen in your business. And you're going to have to crack a few eggs to get that done, I would assume. (laughs) But you know what? At the end of the day, especially with COVID, I feel like that was one of the big lessons. It's like, okay, if you need to make $5,000 every month to make your life work, then it might mean that you're working this weekend, right? And that's okay. But I think having that decision and knowing, okay, I'm not working this weekend because I feel sorry for myself and this is horrible, but I'm really working this weekend so I can get my 5,000 at the end of the month, right? And I feel like as an owner, sometimes we feel like it's out of our control when in reality, so much of it's in our control if we are in line with the decisions that ultimately meet our goals. 
that totally resonates with me. When I opened my first location that I actually owned, it was on Hollywood Boulevard. It was 900 square feet. And when I opened, I opened with a business partner who was like co-managing. We hired a bar manager. We had this overbuilt infrastructure for a 900 square foot bar. But it was because like I was built to scale. I was built to scale from the day I opened. And then, you know, like four, five, six, seven years into it, then it's just like me checking in with like a dude. And that was it. And that was really all it needed this whole time. (laughs) And so I hope that everyone listening is running that perfect midline. But I would assume for many of us, either our support system is overbuilt or underbuilt. How do you know where you stand on that? And is it a function of profitability? Because I would assume that the overall infrastructure plays a role in that as well, right? It does. And that's where I think the owners realizing that you are in control of your own destiny, right? It is 100% fine to have your restaurant managed by a team of managers that has nothing to do with the owner. If A, you're doing other things, right? If your life is working in spite of that, then that's great. If you're starting a new location or you're out selling real estate or whatever you're doing, that's great. But if you as an owner are sitting back going, oh gosh, I wish this business made more money, then maybe we need to reevaluate that to make sure that it makes what we need to make. Because I really feel like that's the key is allocating your time as the owner most efficiently. So again, if your goal is five locations, then you shouldn't be on the line on a Friday night. But if your goal is maximizing this location and really making sure it works and it makes everything it needs to make, then maybe you are there on a Friday night and not paying someone else to be there. So I think there's so much in that one question for an owner that really drives the ultimate result. Let's talk about other industries because you don't just work with restaurants and nightlife. You work across multiple industries. I would argue that most of us in the restaurant industry have become far more open-minded since the pandemic (laughs) when it comes to looking at other industries (laughs) for new ways to do business. Yes, I think there was a lot of group think prior to the pandemic and I think that that nut's been cracked wide open. (laughs) Yeah. And so with that being said, what lessons are there out there from other industries that you think we should be applying to our own businesses? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot that can be learned in restaurants from just your general corporate, really looking at yourself as a business or corporate structure, right? I think pre-pandemic, it was kind of like, well, you know, this is a side thing or this is kind of what I'm playing around with. I'm playing around the restaurant business. And I think post-pandemic, we realize there's a purpose here. We've invested a lot of money here. So we really should treat it as a corporation. But in terms of other industries, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I've seen that's changed in restaurants in the 15 years that I've been working with restaurants, I think is technology right? That there's so much tech that restaurant owners need to know now that five, 10 years ago, you could say, well, I'm just going to run a register. I'm just going to do cash. I'm ignoring everything. And that really isn't the case now, but that technology is your friend. So it's good to learn software and it's good to embrace all of the ways technology can save you time because it's done an amazing job of saving restaurant owners time. So I really feel like that's sort of the new wave of not being afraid of technology. And let's get into how we can use that in action. Can you list for me, let's say, three KPIs that restaurateurs should be tracking on a weekly basis and what tools they can use to track those KPIs? Yeah, so I think 
point of sale systems can give you a lot. So I would definitely say, obviously, sales trends as detailed as you can. A lot of things that have changed in restaurants is you've raised your prices, right? Probably at least two to three times. So when you're looking year over year with sales, it's sort of a misnomer because, of course, sales have gone up if you raised your price five, ten percent. So I would say if you can or you have a manager that's good at data, look at guest counts or things that aren't tied to your revenue total because your revenue total is not going to be the same as 2019 right now. Same would be true in food costs. So I definitely think a point of sale system or another back of house system that can do it as a percent of sales would be much better than just looking at dollars spent on food because of course we've spent more on food. Prices have gone up. There's crazy shortages, but that percentage should still hold true. And if it doesn't, that would be where we would want to raise prices. And then the third, I think, is your cash trend. So QuickBooks will do it. A lot of your accounting software will do it to show you the change in cash. But I really like that as a test against your bottom line. Because so many times I hand someone a bottom P&L and they say, well, this can't be right because I don't have any cash. Well, there's all of these reasons in accounting why the P&L and the cash don't match, but your QuickBooks or another accounting software can actually run you a report that will show you the change in cash. And that's a great test to say, oh, it makes sense. I forgot I paid off my credit card or I paid an extra payment to sales tax or whatever it is, but there's reasons. And I think as an owner, you'll feel better. You'll trust the numbers more if you just see that one explanation every month. You brought up POS companies and it's a very nauseating topic for me, (laughs) probably because I'm slightly older than most of the listeners, I'm sure. And when I got into this, there were just a couple of big boys in the arena and like you went with them, they weren't cloud-based. But for everybody that's sitting on a $35,000 investment that they made in a point of sale system that doesn't get them the information they need, My question would be, is it worth the investment to upgrade to get that data? Because that's an elephant nobody wants to eat. (laughs) No, I agree. I mean, I think it comes down to sort of like, you know, it kind of called a sunk cost, right? So nobody loves the fact that you've spent a lot more on POS systems 10 years ago than maybe you do now and the way that they've made them more affordable. But I mean, you could say the same for cell phones, right? If we went with that road, we'd all have flip phones and not buy iPhones. So I do think to some degree, what you really want to make sure is it's user friendly. So you're not the only one who can pull the information. And I think the new software is incredibly user friendly and can get your team involved and can make it pretty with colors and graphs and The goal ultimately is your numbers are not just your numbers, right? That your team buys in, they know the target, they know where you're heading. So I think if you have a point of sale system that can do that, then it's definitely worthwhile. You know, I would also go the route of the cloud-based is safe. I mean, you don't have to worry about backup or the restaurant floods and now you lost all your data. So I do think there are a lot of good things in the new softwares, but I agree with you that it's a pain to have spent so much. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. And then you hear about all of your neighbors that just opened and their POS can do all of these amazing things. And you're like, I'm still running off like an old school mainframe that takes up like half of a room. Right. Exactly. (laughs) In our initial communications, you had referred to a comeback strategy for the hospitality industry. But before we unpack that, I'd love to explore all of the things that we shouldn't return to. 
can you share like bad habits, losing strategies, broken tools that you've seen restaurant owners and operators use in the past? Yeah, I mean, I would say if you were to look back at 19, the lessons learned or the things that we don't want to go back to, because 19 was an incredible year for hospitality, as was 18. And even the first two months of 2020 were great. They were probably record months for most of our clients. But I think hidden in that was a singular focus on revenue for most of our clients. For me to get a client to talk about cash flow in 19, it was like they'd start laughing, right? Because you were so ingrained that every week was the same, if not a little better. Your costs were the same, if not a little better, if you were working on them. And you really just had this focus on growth. And I think the biggest lesson in COVID is we don't know always what's coming. So we have to be more aware of cash flow and how much debt we've taken on. And then I think on the final line that I think really impacted most of our clients the most is really making sure that you're taking care of yourself as the owner. Because so many of my clients who'd been in business 20, 30 years never took much money out. They just knew they had a good balance in their bank account and they had a decent wage and that was it. And then all of a sudden COVID hits and you think, I don't have a retirement plan or I don't have a nest egg personally. And I think That is the aha that I hope owners take out of it, that it is completely okay to take cash out of your business if it's profitable. And you should, right? Because the funny thing is you're taxed on it anyway, that you pay taxes in most cases, whether you take the cash out or not. And how many clients had I seen pre-COVID that just pay all these taxes and never take the cash out? And then all of a sudden we're left holding the bag when things go bad. So I definitely think focusing on the owner's financial health is a big step forward and something we shouldn't go back to not doing. I just had this conversation recently and someone asked, you know, if you could go back and only change one decision that you made in your entire career, what would it be? And I said, before I even chose a location and a concept, I would have decided how much money I wanted to make out of that business every month personally, because it would have informed every other decision I made along the way. And I still see us in this magical moment where we all have the opportunity to re-envision our existing businesses and ask that question and then begin to make critical decisions through that lens and say, okay, well, if I want to make 5000 or $10,000 a month, these are the things that need to be in place. It needs to net this much, which means my expenses need to be this much relative to this top line. It also really resonates with me. I can't tell you how many conversations I had at the beginning of the pandemic. And some of the words were my own, where you know I would talk to people and they'd be like, oh my God, I'm in such a bad place. And I'd say, well, you don't sound upset. And they would say, I'm shocked. I had no idea I was broke. I thought I was rich this whole time. But when the record stops and the restaurant closed and they paid all of their net 30s and they made the last payroll payments, there was no money left. And it rings so true that the cash flow is king more so than even top line revenue. No, exactly. And I think it's just one of those lessons that I hope people don't forget, because I think it also kind of going back to your labor, it forced decisions that restaurant owners didn't want to make, but knew they needed to make. People who had these big management teams, who loved their management teams, but really could never afford them or were sacrificing profits even in the good years, all of a sudden were like, wow, I really can't afford this team. And I think that 
force them to sort of look at what is the right labor for this restaurant. You know, I want to be the leader of eight managers, but maybe I only need two, or maybe I have an hourly manager who also works on the line on Friday and Saturday night, right? Because I can't afford anything else. And I think remembering that pain will also help us make sure that we don't get top heavy again when things are good again. Now let's look at the comeback. How could restaurants set themselves up for success moving forward? So I think what it is, is really not being afraid to look at how different things are now. That really is our core belief that we're trying to instill in our clients and work with our clients on is that you may have your same restaurant, but it is inherently a different restaurant than you had in 19. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's different. So we really need to look at what is the labor today? What is my revenue today? Because again, revenue is going up because you raise prices. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have more customers. So really digging into your customer base and how much is going to stay on third-party platforms because that's not going away. So again, going back to what we see the most successful people doing is hey, at the end of the day, we want 10 to 15% bottom line. And how we get there may be completely different than how we got there in 2019, but that's okay, right? Our business is incredibly valuable and making the good decisions to get us a good profitability moving forward could set us up for incredible success in the years to come. So like you said, I think we're in a very unique time, but now is the time not to just look at today, but let's build a three-year plan and see where we see this going three years from now to make sure that we're heading in the right direction. We're not just constantly reacting to what's being thrown at us. There's been a lot of talk out there about more federal assistance and how it's so desperately needed for the hospitality industry. And I know you guys did a ton of work with the PPP. Do you know of other financial aid that's out there that's available to our listeners? Yes. So I think the biggest one that we see now is, well, two, I would say the first is employee retention tax credit that is still available and is retroactive for 2020. So any restaurant that hasn't looked into it, I highly recommend looking into it because it's up to $5,000 per employee in 2020 and up to 7,000 per employee per quarter in 2021. So especially for our clients that are in the cities that haven't yet come back fully, that can be a huge lifeline and you get literally a check from the IRS. It's amazing. The other one is the economic injury disaster loan. Not a lot of people realize it, but the SBA actually increased the threshold of the loan to up to $2 million. So while you're taking on debt, which is part of why I think it's a good idea to have a plan first, to build a three-year plan before we take on all this money, that can be a lifesaver for people that really feel like they're just not out of the woods yet or in an area that probably still has to get through another winter. So I think it's a good idea to kind of reach out to the SBA if you haven't, see what you qualify for. But between those two programs, there's definitely ways to get cash in your pocket. And then, like I said, I think the next thing is a plan for the cash, right? To really make sure we have a long-term plan. The scope of this conversation is limited almost exclusively by the scope of my understanding when it comes to finances (laughs) and restaurant accounting best practices. I'm curious to know, what did I miss? What are the things that the listeners should know that I didn't touch on? My personal philosophy is just that it's all about mindset, right? If you're listening to this conversation going, oh my God, it's they're talking numbers. I hate numbers. and oh, That really is a mindset that if you looked back, probably was ingrained in middle school or whenever you had to take your first accounting course. 
But at the core, accounting isn't terrible, right? It's the language of business. It's something that we all have to find a way to understand. So my goal is to really help in that piece. So if you go on our website, you'll see we have free courses. But I would say as an owner, don't be afraid of accounting because it really is one of the best tools you can have is knowledge of accounting and knowledge of your business. But I would say find a way to make it work in the way that you learn best, right? doesn't necessarily have to be the typical accounting way, but find a way to own your numbers and be excited by your numbers because your business is probably one of your biggest assets. This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to share? I would say anyone who's in hospitality today has done an amazing job over the last 18 months. I think it's easy to forget how hard it's been, right? How many times you've pivoted, how much you've fought over the last 18 months. But I would definitely say as we look back to the end of 2021, don't be afraid to congratulate yourself because if you've made it this far, you have protected this asset that is your business and have done an amazing job. So go into next year looking forward, but not necessarily being hard on yourself for anything that happened in the last 18 months, because just the fact that you made it speaks volume to you as a leader and as a business owner. That's Ann Gannon. For more on her company, go to thelargogroup.com. If you want to tell us your story or refer someone to be a guest on the show, email us at booking at fullcomp.media. To hear previous episodes or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel, and you've been listening to Full Comp.